starting a thing called Level 4 Marriages. And, and what I want to give you a heads up on is this. Uh, uh, Paul the Apostle, when he was talking about marriage in Ephesians 5, said that when marriage is right, it is a great mystery. He said, but I want you to know that I'm speaking of Christ in the church. So I'm going to ask you to do two things today. I want you to have two things going on in your mind. And I know we can do that. A little bit complex. But every time I talk about marriage, I want you to also take that and put that in the realm of your relationship with Jesus. Are you and Jesus living out the kind of things we're going to talk about today? So if you're sitting here going, well, you know, I'm not married. This doesn't apply to me. Oh, it's, it more than ever does because that kind of intimate relationship God wants to have with you. Now, if you're married, I want you to apply it not only to your life, but also to your walk with Christ. And if you're not married, well, we want to help you with it. No. Uh, so anyway, let's pray and we'll dig in. Father, I pray that you would really, truly bless this time. May it be filled with joy. May it be filled with your presence. May our minds be sharp and open. And may we grab hold of how intimate and passionate and intoxicating our relationship is meant to be with you and, and how incredible it is when it's experienced with someone else. In Jesus' name, amen. There is no way that is going to happen. No, it's coming back in. And you know what? I'm going to be ready for it when it does. It's not coming back in and I don't want you to embarrass yourself. No, I, trust me. I feel it. It's coming back in. It's not coming back in. Even when it wasn't, it wasn't really in. No, it was the best fashion statement. And besides that, they're awesome. No, the mullet is not awesome. In fact, the words mullet and awesome should never, ever be used in a sentence. Well, I don't care. I'm growing one. Really? Yes. Business in the front, party in the rear, baby. Oh my gosh. Hey, kids. Hi, hey, Pastor, Pastor Joel. Joel. You seem to be in a pretty heated discussion. What seems to be the issue? Him. Her. Okay. What's up? Tell him. You tell him it's your problem. Ronnie thinks the mullets are coming back in. He thinks they're going to be popular again. Wow. Yes. Just tell her they're coming back in. Wow. You really want to grow a mullet? Business in the front, party in the back. Yeah, I get that. I take it you're not too happy about not this. Not at all. And you don't feel she supports you in your decision to grow a mullet. Yes, go figure. What you're experiencing is something that many engaged no, couples... No, 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 Pastor Joe, we're, we're not engaged. What? No, no, we're just dating. Oh, I'm sorry, my mistake. As I was saying, lots of couples who love each other face barriers that they will have to overcome. Wait, wait, wait. With barriers? Like wanting to grow a stupid egg. Make a bold fashion statement. Bold, that's a laugh. And being unsupportive? Barriers, like that. So, what you're saying is, is that you do love each other unconditionally? Yes. Oh yes, we really do. Good, great. So what you're saying is, Natalia, that you would love him even if he grew a mullet, and that every time you kissed him, that party in the back would be flapping in the breeze. Yes, of course. And that you would love Natalia, even if she thought that your mullet was a, a, not the best choice for you, and that the next time you took a nap, she may shear you like Delilah did Samson. Uh, uh, but yeah, 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 of course, yes, of course. So, you do love one another. Yes. Yeah. And you are committed to each other. Yes. yes. For better or for worse. Yes. Of course. 
For richer, for poorer. Yes. In sickness and in health, and preferring her above all others. Accept full responsibility for every necessity as long as you both shall live. Of course. So? So what? So, by the authority vested in me, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride. Wait. Taylor Wait. Stevens. What? I just wanted to grow a mullet. Wow. Well, you know what? Relationships need to have a beginning, and those beginning times are usually exciting and fun, and, and you wonder how to navigate through them, but, but we all know what it's like in that beginning moment. When you found that person you care about and love and touching their hand, you go, oh man, you know, you didn't think anything could be better than that. And, and, and just being together, nothing could be better than that. And then on the phone, like you just never wanted it to end. And you couldn't get enough time together. You couldn't get enough affection from one another. And that's how it begins. And then, then very often what happens is couples like that move into engagement and then they move into marriage. And, and it's not always easy to get there. Uh, but when it does, it, it becomes one of those moments you hopefully never forget. And it begins to be a building process into something amazing and incredible. Uh, this week, we've been watching that happen in our family. And it's just something that I have cherished. Uh, last week, I wasn't here because I flew to Syracuse, New York to watch my oldest son get married. And uh, I got to tell you, they decided to get married in a courthouse. And it was really funny that the marriage was held in a criminal courthouse. <laughs> I thought, boy, that is saying something. And, uh, but I got to be with them and celebrate their commitment to one another and be with my twin granddaughters. And uh, it was just incredible. Uh, then I get on a plane and I, I'm flying out of Syracuse with my mom and we're separated. And, and I had really tried to get an aisle seat and, and I even prayed God get, and I got the best aisle seat ever. I really think God opened the door and I am on one D on a jet blue flight. And I am so excited because now I'm not going to be in a center seat. And I think one D is the best seat on the whole plane anyway. And so I think, oh, this is cool. And I get on the plane, and there's a, the seat next to me is empty, and then the next seat over is a college guy who's real friendly, and so we started getting ready to talk, and I thought, hey, I'm, I think I'm going to be able to share Christ with this guy. And then, just before the door closes, running on the plane is this gorgeous, petite college graduate. She just graduated from Columbia, starting on her life in New York City. She goes and hops in the seat right between us, and she's bubbly and fun, and I thought she's going to make the flight great. And, and this guy on the other side of her is like, oh, I mean, he thinks he's won the lottery. <laughs> he is so excited. And, you, and I thought, I don't blame you, dude. And he is just thinking. And I could see the wheels turning, and he's trying to make conversation, you know. And, and it's a little awkward because he really wants something to occur. Well, Tony told you about his turbulence. Guess what? I get, we get up in the air, and the plane hits turbulence. Only one other time have I been in worse. But our pilot actually said he's never been in worse and never as long. It was almost literally the whole flight. We are bouncing all the way back to L.A. And this plane's bum, 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 bum. And people are getting sick. Well, here's the thing. The guy over here gets really sick. And he gets out a bag, and he's just emptying into the bag and filling it up. And, and she's almost cuddling with me. And, 
And I looked over and I thought, you poor guy. I mean, you thought you hit the jackpot <laughs> of all times. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't go how you want it to go, right? And, and you know what? Relationships can have moments like that or something can derail things. But here's the good news. They can be put back on course. Uh, and we're going to talk about how to have uh, uh, the kind of relationship God wants us to have with him and with another person in marriage. And we're calling it level four marriage because when two people are level four and we put them into a marriage situation together where they live out, what's a level four person if you haven't been with us? It's a person who is so committed to Christ. They say, not my will, but your will be done. And they tend to want to live in that relationship and be the kind of person God wants them to be and do the things God wants them to do. You put two people into a marriage that way and we give you the right tools. Here's the point. It gets better and better and better. Uh, uh, I was overjoyed when my son fell in love with Jill. And when I got to do their wedding, I was just uh, off the charts excited. And then when they came and told us that, that they were pregnant and going to have a baby, it went to even a higher level. And uh, then last Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, oh, I don't know, it was April the 21st, uh, you know what, is, is Jill delivered to us the most precious gift ever in Liam Charles Boer. And uh, I want to show you a picture of him. And... He's only, now he's five minutes old right there. That's five minutes in. And you know what is, I got to tell you, I was so excited about that. Then uh, uh, watching them together was incredible. Uh, Jill is doing great, by the way. Matter of fact, she, uh, I'm going to say an hour, not even an hour after she's had the baby, she goes, I could do this again. And I thought, I'm praying you do. And, uh, and you know what, already I, I just, I knew I would love him. And I knew I'd be excited, but I can't tell you, you, you until you experience it what it was like. And man, the depth of your love and the joy and the, just the awe of the experience, it, it's amazing. And I'm watching Tim and Jill love each other and life has never been better for them. And to watch my son have his son and love his son, I mean, that got me. And then we go, it, we had gotten, went to the hospital two or three times. As soon as we got the call, we went at three in the morning. Then we came back, I think, at 4.30 and back at six and, and wanting to be there for all of it. And uh, we, we've been up pretty much all night long. And Pam and I are walking out to the car. And we get in and I look at her and she said, what? And I said, man, I love you. And she goes, okay. And I reached and grabbed her hand because I'm the emotional one. And... Uh, <laughs> I, I'm holding on to her, and she's like, you can drive the car now. And I go, no. And, and here's what I want you to know. As I looked at her and thought, we got to do this together. And I don't want to share life with anybody else. And, and you know what the thing is this? I think Pam is more beautiful than she's ever been. I look at her, and I think, oh, my gosh, do I love you and desire you and crave you. And, and we get to share life together. I can't get enough time with her. I can't, we, we have fun every second. We're pretty much together and we, we, we get to be used by God as a team to make an impact. And man, I just held on to her and I thought, thank you, thank you, thank you for this. God, thank you for who I've got. Thank you for the life we have. If one of you uh, uh, who were in Generate walked up and grabbed me and said, Chuck, wouldn't you like to go back and be young and good looking again? <laughs> Some of you are going, were you ever? And... Uh, but let me tell you this. I can tell you the answer, no. 
You know what? If you got a marriage like we have right now, as good as it was 10 years ago, as great as it was 20 years ago, today it's better. I wouldn't want to give this up. I mean, I'm not kidding you. When I tell you I think my wife is gorgeous, I, I really believe and know she is to me. And, and man, I don't even want to have a hint of letting go of what we have today. And here's what I want you to grab hold of. If someone's in a level four marriage, that's what happens. It gets better and better and better, and it's more valued. It's like aged wine. And we're going to see that God says that in a minute. It's like wine that takes on a greater value and a greater flavor and a greater depth to what it is and a greater impact. And that's what God wants for you. But I want you to know that he doesn't just want it with you in a marriage if you're married. He wants that kind of relationship with you, period. He wants to have your love be like that for him. Look at Revelation chapter 2. The Ephesian church was a church that had been around a while. And they had had amazing pastors. John the Apostle was a pastor for them. Paul the Apostle was a pastor for them. Timothy was left to pastor them. But you know what? They had the best teaching ever. But there was something missing. And Jesus now was calling out to this church that he loves. And he says, you know what? You have great works. You're willing to even undergo trials and persecutions for me. You have the most amazing depth of knowledge ever. He says, but you know what? I think that makes it hurt all the more. Look what he says in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. He says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. Now he's saying, I, I, I want you to come back to it. I desire to have that with you. I want it to be incredible. You've left your first love. When we see this in marriage, it, it's painful. Uh, if I'm talking to a wife and she says, my husband, you know, he's faithful. And uh, he provides for the family. And uh, you know what? I, he's a great dad to the kids but I just don't feel like he loves me or wants me. And that wife is laying in bed at night, looking over at him and saying, what do I do? And maybe, maybe, as much as it does matter that he's a good guy and a faithful guy and a good dad, it almost hurts worse because you think, what's, what's, it kills me. We're, we're not together. Or it's the man who I talked to who said, you know, she's a good mom. And she works hard as a partner. And she never tears me down. But I don't know when the last time was that we were intimate together. And uh, I just quit trying and she doesn't seem to mind. I mean, I, we don't hug, we don't kiss, we don't. And I lay in bed at night looking over at her saying, what, what's, it's gone. And, and that hurts, that hurts. And God looks at you and says, if you're not in an intimate, passionate, intoxicating relationship with him, he says the same thing. He's like, what's missing here? Why have you left me? What have I done? Why don't you crave to be? And, and, and you know what? It's supposed to be first love and more. It's supposed to be passionate and grow. That's how our relationship with God is. And that's how our relationship with our spouse is supposed to be. And that's what God's will is. And in and, and marriage, it takes two. And by the way, with God, it takes two. He wants it with you. Do you want it with him? And if you're not experiencing, let me tell you, it's not his side of it. And, and in marriage, God's great design is to see a couple, no matter what they've gone through, come together with that kind of love and, and have that amazing passion for one another. And it's to be a growing thing. 
Uh, I remember talking one time to a family and what happened is their daughter had really gone off on the wrong direction. She had bought into some things that nobody would want their daughter to buy into. She was harming herself with some of these things. And so, man, her mom and dad were desperate to see her come back to Christ and get on the right track. And uh, so Pam and I poured a lot of time in trying to reach this girl. And uh, so finally I, I talked to the girl and she shocked me. Because I looked at her and said, we got this summer conference coming. Would you be willing to go? And she goes, yeah, I'll go. Can I bring some friends? I'm like, oh. And I'm calling her mom before she can tell her mom. I'm going, she just signed up to go with us. And the mom's crying. Oh, this is an answer to prayer. It's a miracle. And I said, it is. And man, we're praying and praying for her. Well, she gets to our conference. And Tuesday night, she goes forward and gives her life to Christ. On Thursday night, her parents came out and we baptized her. She is a new girl. She's got a new mindset. She is so excited. And she gets home on Friday and I see her run and hug her mom and her dad. And, and she's just like off the charts with excitement. But then I get a phone call on Saturday. And the girl's crying. And she said, Chuck, I, I, I'm hurting. And I said, what happened? She said, my mom came in my room and sat me down. And she said, well, I just don't want you to be disappointed. I know you're excited about God now, but I want you to know it'll go away. She goes, I used to be like you too. She goes, it comes and it goes. And, and I thought, what? And she goes, so you'll, you'll get over it. And I thought, get over it. Well, get, what do you mean get over it? I want it. She goes, well, it's that camp high. I go, no, that's just being a Christian. Now, we do have those up and down times. There's no doubt about it. But let me tell you this as clearly as I can. I became a Christian in 1974, and I haven't gotten over it. And as a matter of fact, I love Jesus more today than I ever have. And, and I worship with more passion. I experience him, him in deeper ways. My prayer life's never been more exciting. I wake up, I'm not a morning person, but man, I can't wait to get that Bible open. He and I to spend time together. I have not gotten over it. It's gotten better and better and better. I want to tell you, I've been married since 1978. Yep, and, uh, and, and you know what? I haven't gotten over it. I, I, I mean, some people even go, boy, you talk about Pamela. I, you know what? I can't help it. Man, I am amazed at this woman that I have. I am so excited about her. I love our marriage. I love our life. And, and it gets better and better and better and better. And, and I'm not getting over it. And I know some of you don't like to hear this because you go, well, Chuck, you're kind of old. But I want to tell you, man, when Pam walks in the room, I'm like, whoa. And, uh, you know, when we have false teeth, we'll still be kissing. And uh, it's, I'm not going to get over it. And, and you know why? Because it does get better. Think about how that works in a lot of realms. I asked for people, I, I asked some of our team, can you arrange for some classic cars to be out there? And they did it. Did you see those cars when you walked up? And they're, they're, let me tell you, they're cool, huh? And, and let me tell you why they're out there. Because you know what? Just imagine this. In 1951, in 1951, I bet there was a teenage guy whose mom and dad looked at him and said, you know, you've been good in good grades. And you've been doing great things with your life. And you love to surf. So we decided to bless you with the gift. And they walked him outside. And there was a 1951 Woody. They paid $2,000 for it. And don't you think that he went, oh my gosh, and he got in, and it was the greatest thing ever to be a teenager and to have a 1951 Woody. And he couldn't wait to show his friends and give them rides and drive around. And he thought that car was amazing. But because somebody took that car and loved that car and took care of that car and put time into that car, that 1951 Woody today is worth $50,000. 
Now, did you catch that? Outside, there's a 1948 Mercury convertible, and it was $2,000 originally. Today, that's worth over $60,000. There's a 1938 Chevy Roadster out there. Originally cost $1,000. Today that car, because it's been taken care of and loved and and people poured time into it, it's worth over $100,000. And all around this room right now are marriages. What happened is you fell in love and got excited and you thought there was nothing better than touching her hand or his hand. And today, some of you 20 years later, some of you 50 years later, some of you 60 years later, we look at you and go, man, that marriage is more priceless today than it's ever been. And you know, some of you became Christians in 1930. And today you're more on fire for God than you've ever been. And you know what? That's what happens in quality things. But what does it take? It takes some effort and some time and some care and lots of affection. And it grows in value. It grows in value. Now, I'm fortunate enough that I came from a a, a long line uh, of of people who love their spouses. Uh, My grandmother and grandfather had an amazing marriage. Granny and granddad. And granddad was always kind of shy and didn't say a lot. But man, he loved my grandmother. And Granny was really outgoing. Some of you actually knew her. And she was a person who, when she hit a room, she made an impact in an incredible way. And she was loving and vibrant. And I watched the way they loved each other. Every now and then, Granny would reach over and put her arms around Granddad. She'd give him a big kiss. And he'd go, oh, you know, he'd get like that. One time we were in the Tyler Tyler Mall. Now it's it's Galleria now. And we're walking along. And Granddad's just kind of walking and looking. And Granny, for no reason, just walks over and kissed him. And he's like, oh, looking around and smiling, you know. And, And I love to watch that. I remember that one of my sons went up to Granny and said, are you guys gonna have any more kids? And I I said, I don't think that's going to happen. And Granny goes, I don't know why not. Just because there's snow on the roof doesn't mean there's not a fire in the oven. (laughs) It was awesome. And then my mom and dad, man, they had fun together. And my dad loved my mom. Oh, he cherished her. I mean, he just thought she was the most incredible gift he had ever gotten in his life. And he cared for her and loved her. And my mom loved my dad. And I remember one day I'm sitting with Pam and I said, who should we have teach us about marriage? And she said, your parents. She goes, I want a marriage like your mom and dad. I want you to treat me the way your dad treats your mom. And I want to be to you who your mom is. And I said, wow. And and we just cherished that. And I think that we are carrying that on today. You know, are we perfect? No. But the truth of the matter is, is that, man, we cherish each other. We love each other. We share life together. And and Pam is one of the greatest blessings I have in my life. You know what? It's God's desire is that to be an impassioned, growing thing. Look at Proverbs chapter 5 with me. And look at verse 18. Now, notice this is a command. Now, I know there are young children in here, and we're going to read from here and read from Song of Solomon, and these are very intimate sections of Scripture. So I'm not going to explain them with the kind of depth that I would normally explain, because I don't want some of the parents to come up afterwards going, thank you. Uh, so I, I'm leaving it to you to, to take it to where it's supposed to go. But, but we're not also going to, we're going to read every word. So get ready. Uh, the word fountain is a, a symbol for something. All right? <laughs> Proverbs 5, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. 
As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. Did you see the word always there? Never, ever, ever is to end. He says, I want you to be exhilarated. The Hebrew word there is probably better translated intoxicated. I want you in the first year of your marriage to be intoxicated with love. I want you in the second year of your marriage to be intoxicated and the 10th and the 15th and the 20th. And I want you always to be enraptured with her. I want you when you touch her to think there's nothing better in all creation to do than this. And I want it to be the depth of knowing each other in ways that are amazing. I want your physical intimacy to be craved and desired and shared and be the outgrowth of an amazing love and security together, which we're going to see in a couple weeks. He said, that's what I want it to be. And he says, you're going to have to do this if you want to follow me. And all of us who are believers say, okay, God, if you commanded it, I guess I got to do it. And, uh, and, and, and he wants it that way. Do you realize when God began to create the earth and, and the heavens, he said, it's good. It's good, it's good. And then on day seven, or day six, day six, on day six, he created man and woman. And what did he say? He said, it's very good. Now, now, then God takes us in and shows us the way he mapped out that final part of creation. And he created Adam first, but Adam needed Eve. And in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, it says, it is not good that man should be alone. But it's very good when they're together. Did you catch that? He said, it's not good for you to be alone. That's not what you were created for. You were created to share in a relational way with people who love you. And one of those areas, maybe the epitome of it is marriage when it's done correctly. So, you know, what did God do? What well, says that God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep? Pam got a, another version of the Bible she likes a lot. And so I grabbed it and looked at it. And it, she goes, you like this? She goes, yeah, I liked it. It says that God called Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And then God took Adam's brains and made the woman. <laughs> she said, you like that? Huh? She goes, yeah, it's accurate. And uh, so... But God said, I made this woman, I built this woman, and I made this man, and I created this man so that you together would be very, very good, that you would be greater than a sunset in radiance, more majestic than the mountains in your relationship, that you would be more awesome than the greatest galaxies or stars. You are the very good, and they're just good. And when I see you love each other like that, the Lord says, then I know you've understood the meaning of life and the meaning of the relationship I want to have with you too. It is God's great desire that we do that. And when it happens, it becomes the crowning piece of our life. In Proverbs 12, verse 4, it says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is rottenness to the bones. In other words, when it hasn't gone well, when it isn't what it's supposed to be, there's not a whole lot of things in life more painful than that, that hurt more than that. And I'm not oblivious to the fact that there are many of you sitting here who have been wounded this way. And God knows and cares. And your life isn't over and God wants to redeem you and even take that area that has a place of hurt and fill it with things that are beautiful and incredible. In other words, don't ever let go and don't ever quit living. But, but let's all agree together that God's great desire is that we have a crowning achievement moment happen. And if some of you in Generate haven't grabbed it yet, God, if you follow his ways, has a person for you like that. And if you are married today, I mean, you want to throw yourself into the hands of God and experience this. Because why? It says the excellent wife is the crown of her husband. 
You know, all the time on staff, we walk and talk to each other and say, you know what, man, we married up. We really did. I mean, I know I married up. <laughs> Tony married up. Wow. And that's just uh, <laughs> a testimony of unconditional love, Brian. And, uh, and you know what? It's, it's Cody and, and Ronnie. Wait, Ronnie? Not yet. All right. And, uh, but, you know, I, I, I just look and, and, and that's a, a kind of, we say that, don't we? But it really is true. And, and you know what? These, the guys have caught on to the fact that, you know, when you cherish your wife and love her, she becomes radiant. Uh, and I did. I, I really did marry up. I was just recently at a leadership event. They asked me to come and speak, and I was all excited to do it. I love to preach, and I love to take godly principles and show how that fits in leadership. And so I'm in this setting, and, and, and I got to be honest, I was on. You know, sometimes I'm not. I know some of you go, yeah. And, uh, but I was on, man. I'm, I'm, and those guys are like, they're taking notes, and, and it's just going, and I had them, and I hit my ending just the way I wanted to, and I've inspired them, and the, the, the MC gets up and goes, okay, wait, wait, wait. We can't end this without some questions. Anybody got any, Tell me your question. And all of a sudden, the hands are going up. First guy asks a question, and I answer it. Next hand goes up and goes, you know what, Chuck? You, can we hear from Pam? And they all start clapping. And Pam's like, oh, and they want to hear her. And, and you know what? They wanted her. And I'm like, okay, I'll go sit in the corner. And you know what, though? I was so proud. I was proud because those guys saw the truth. I mean, high-level intelligence, spiritual, passionate, committed woman. Uh, a woman who can transform relationships who can guide people in amazing ways, who never flaunts it. Like, I know a lot of times, to be honest, some of you get around Pam and, and you don't go, oh, wow, she's like off the charts smart. You know why? She doesn't need to show it. She, she's just gonna just love you and help you. And Oh, man, that woman's sharp. And, and you know what I, again, we really did. We get in the car and I grabbed her hand and she's going, Chuck, let's just go. And I said, no. And she goes, and I go, Pam, my love language is physical touch. And, uh, you know, and, and, but I looked at her and thought, wow, it just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. And, and that's the point I want you to grab hold of. You know, if you, you, you say, well, I'm, I'm wondering, is our marriage, you know what? When you put it in God's hands, it really, really does. It just keeps getting better, and, and, and that's the call we want to make, and we want to give you the tools for that, uh, and I want to show you a place that it does that. Look over at uh, Song of Solomon chapter 7, Song of Solomon chapter 7, and this is where we see the growth of love. Now, on Sunday nights, I took the church through Song of Solomon 1 to 6. Now, we're bringing 7 and 8 into the morning because it fits so well. And as a matter of fact, as you look at this, you'd say, wow, this is incredible. So if you weren't with this, let me tell you where it started. There was a very, very poor girl. She was impoverished. Her family was barely making it. Uh, nobody wanted to marry her. Uh, uh, her brothers weren't able. Her father probably died and left them destitute. And, and nobody wanted to arrange to marry this girl. Her brothers weren't able to do it. And they had to, just to be able to make it in the economic times they were facing. She had to work in a vineyard. Girls at that time did not work in vineyards, and it, it baked her skin, it ravished her hands, it, it made them strong and hard, and at time they were supposed to be delicate if they were in the elite circle, and, and she thought she'd never have anybody. She thought there was nobody for her, but God saw her, and God saw her need, and God arranged for Solomon and her to meet, and Solomon came in, and it says he fell in love with her at first sight. And he brought her to the palace to get to know her better. But when she walked into the palace, all of the girls at court looked at her and they just despised her. 
Maybe because of the competition. Maybe because of her looks. Maybe all together. But, but they got incredibly catty. And they begin to give her horrible advice. And they begin to attack her and demean her. And tear into her. And Solomon finds out about it. And he just exalts her in a way that puts an end to it. And, and it just causes her to realize how cherry she is. Then their love begins to grow and grow and grow until they get to know each other so well he finally asks her to be his wife and they have this amazing marriage uh, wedding and then they have an amazing honeymoon that's very well described and then they have a, a, a time of sexual problems and tension and they weather it and they come through it and now where we're at right now is, is this, they've been married for years. Uh, we're not given the exact amount of time, but we know it's been quite a bit of time. We're away from the honeymoon moment. We're away from all that time. And, and they've grown in their love together. And that's the point of this chapter, this part of the story, is how amazing the love has become. Because they weathered the storm. Because they found each other. Because God had brought them in this direction. And, and notice what it says in chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful. And by the way, again, I'm not going to break it down too much, but they're they're physically together, if you catch what I mean. Uh, and it's very intimate, all right? Okay, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. He's beginning to touch her, and he says, How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter. The curve of your hips are like jewels. The work of your hands, or, or the work of the hands of an artist. Your navel is like a round goblet which never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is like a heap of wheat. <laughs> fenced about with lilies. Pam, your belly's like a heap of wheat and flowers surrounded. Doesn't sound very level four, does it? Yeah. So let me stop and, and, and address that. Um, you know what's kind of interesting? That super thin being a good thing is a very new thing. I, I want you to think about that. And, and I think you right away are going to agree with me. Uh, you see, the idea of a girl being extremely thin and being desirable for that is something very, very new even in our culture. You go back to the 20s and you look at the most beautiful girls and see photographs or pictures of them. Have you noticed they're not super thin? Uh, if you go back into the Middle Ages and you see the paintings of the Venus and how beautiful she was supposed to be, do you notice something about her? Not quite as thin as we look at, a little more plump is, is what I want to say. Uh, uh, and, and what I want you to grab hold of is that, that in this day and time, that was something sought after. Uh, it was something that he looked at her and he loved her and he said, that's the most incredible thing I could ever say about you. Uh, and, and so the good news is, is I want you to know that my body's actually more biblical. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but the bottom line is, is it comes and goes. And here's what might be more important. When you find the person God has for you, you begin to cherish everything about them that way. Culture quits driving your view of beauty, which I think is a positive. I think it's positive. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how current this is. When my family went back to visit my grandparents in Tennessee, I was with my dad's dad, my grandfather, and uh, he looked at me and he said, Chuck, he said, when I first met your mom, I actually went and I cried. I thought your dad made a horrible mistake. And I said, why? And he said, because she was so thin, she wouldn't be able to work a day in her life. <laughs> now, he fell in love with my mom later. But isn't that interesting? Now, my grandmother uh, was a fire plug. And, uh, uh, but you know what? Is, is it, the value there was different. But here's the thing. Did you catch? He values and loves her for who she is. And he goes on to say this. He says in verse 3, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. 
your eyes like the pools of Heshbon and by the gate of bath uh, The pools of Heshbon were deep, deep blue. And, and so maybe it's saying her eyes are blue. Definitely clear, definitely valued, definitely talked about. Uh, uh, but these pools were loved and sought after and people went to spend time there. It'd be like a Hawaii of its day. And then he says this, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. <laughs> by the way, this is still a compliment, but, uh, which faces towards Damascus. Now notice this one, your head crowns you like caramel. And the flowing locks of your head are like the purple threads, and the king is captivated by its tresses. Now, now, Mount Carmel was considered the most majestic, beautiful thing that you could look upon. Much like when the snow comes and the skies are clear, and you walk out and look at Mount Baldy, and you go, oh. And you, I don't know if you're like me, I almost want to get my car aimed in directions where I can see how gorgeous that is. And it crowns our area. And he's saying that, that that's who she is. She's as beautiful as Carmel. And, and throughout Scripture, Carmel's talked about as a place of majesty and spiritual endowment. And in Isaiah 35, too, it says, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of love will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, and they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. He says, when I look at you, I just go, oh, wow. And, and you're crowning and, and beautiful and incredible and amazing. And he said, there's nothing more captivating than you. And the flowing locks of your head are like purple. And what is he saying with that? Probably her hair was dark, dark, dark color. Maybe it had a purpleness to it. But what he really is saying is, before anybody else called you queen, God did. He's the one who made you to be queen. You may not think you were called to this. You were called to be the queen. You were called to stand with nobility. You were crowned by God. And you captivate me in your love. And he says, that's who you are. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, how beautiful you are. How my love and with all your charms, your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like clusters. And I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of the fruit of the stalks and may your breast be like clusters of vines and your fragrance like the breath of apples and your mouth like the best of wine. And then she says to him, it goes down smoothly for my beloved flowing gently through the lips to those who fall asleep. Now this is a very intimate moment, but here's my point. In chapter four was the honeymoon. Now we're years later and what do we see? Intimacy. We see something else, though. In chapter 4, he gave her seven compliments, meaning you're, you're complete. But in chapter 7, he gives her ten compliments, meaning you're perfect. He's talking about things that he didn't know back then. And what he's saying is the more I know you and the more I know about you, the greater depth of how I treasure you, the greater desire I have for you. And while they talked about how intoxicating it was to love each other then, he says right now, he goes, you are like the greatest wine ever. You make me dizzy to be around you. You excite me. You give me more joy. He goes, I can't get enough of being with you. And he says, I crave this. And by the way, there's there's a reason God put this chapter in here, and it's this, because that's what marriage is supposed to be like. That it's incredible in the beginning, but it grows in value, grows in the knowledge of one another, grows in intimacy. And as it does, it just literally rocks your world in a way you can't imagine. This is the kind of love that God has for you when you get married, if you follow his ways and do what he says. And by the way, God wants that to be the same with you and him. 
The day you met Jesus, you thought life couldn't be better. But the more you get to know him and the more you experience his love and the more you're aware of how much he knows you, it grows and it grows and it grows. And, and it goes to a place where you're saying, man, that first love was awesome. But this is intoxicating, exhilarating. It's incredible. And that's what God wants for us, to live life like that. And, and that's what he wants life to be. Now, it's interesting that she just begins to, to react to him. And then she says these words, and I don't want you to miss it in verse 10. She says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Now, why is that important? Because that's the third time she's used a phrase like that. But listen to this. Uh, in chapter 6, verse 3, she said, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. That was the beginning of the relationship. Now she's saying something else. She's saying, I am my beloved's and his desires for me. So she started out by saying, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. He's mine. He's mine. And that's how you start to feel. But, but it begins to grow. In chapter 7, verse 10, she says, I am my beloved's and his uh, desire is for me. She says, I want you to know that it doesn't matter that he's mine. What I know is that he loves me and I'm lost in his love and crave his love and I want to be in his love. It goes from primary possession to mutual possession in chapter 6 verse 3 where she says, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine to the finally she gets to the very end where she says these words. She says, you know what? We, we are lost in each other. We care about each other. We crave each other. We can't wait to be together and I'm lost in this moment. Why? Why? Because an amazing love grows. Level four marriages make their partners feel like they're the only ones in the world. Level four marriages communicate there's no one else on earth for me but you. Level four marriages are willing to lose themselves and the other person and they don't have to protect themselves from the other person because they find more joy in giving than even in receiving and in pouring in and encouraging and in sharing and that's what God's great work is to be. And by the way, in Christ it's the same way. When I'm first a Christian, many of us go, you know what? Now I'm a Christian and my sins are forgiven. Praise God for that, by the way. That's good. And then you go and you talk to people who are in this stage and they say, yeah, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and praise God for that. But you know what is, is being a Christian isn't about going to heaven necessarily and, and even being, uh, having your sins forgiven. That might surprise you. The reason your sins are forgiven and, and the reason God wants you into heaven, are you ready for this? Because he loves you. And it's all about a personal, intimate, intoxicating, powerful relationship. And, and, you know, every now and then I have people want to get on the heaven train with me and talk about, you know, well, can you lose your salvation or not? Lose? And I'm always like, you know what? I'm willing to talk with you about that, but you've missed the point. The point isn't even going to heaven. The point is intimacy with God now. The point is a real relationship with him. And, you know, we'll talk about the other things if you want, but you've got to get the most important point is this is that you have a God who loves you so much he adopted you as a child. And he loves you so much that he has nothing better to do than spend time with you. I'm not kidding about that. There's never been a time you say, God, can we have some time together that he hasn't said, oh, I've longed for this. I love to be with you. Do you realize that God thinks you're the most interesting thing ever? And he cares about your thoughts and feelings? your dreams and your goals. And he has plans for you that are amazing. And he wants to share in that deep communion with you constantly. And when you begin to experience it the way you're supposed to, it becomes an enrapturing thing, an intoxicating thing, an exhilarating thing to be with him. And that's what God wants. And, and here's what I want to say is, if you're not experiencing a relationship with God like that right now, what do you do? 
Well, it's just like your marriage relationship. You got to say yes. You know, I, I went to Pam one day and I looked in her eyes and I said, would you marry me? And she had to respond. So I knew where we were headed. Then we stood on a, a, a church and we said vows to each other. And, and, and the state proclaimed that we're married, but God even more said, now you're one. And you know, if you want that unity with God, you've got to do the same thing. You've got to tell him. And so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into time of prayer. And first I want to pray for our marriages and pray for where we're headed. Then I want to pray for our relationship with God. But then I'm going to stop. And I'm going to ask God's Holy Spirit. And I mean this. Think about it. I'm actually, the Holy Spirit is here right now. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to stir and touch those who were, who today is your day to say yes to God and to come into a relationship with him. Then I'm also going to ask people who at one time were on fire for the Lord. And at one time were in that intimate, passionate relationship. But today you're not. Do you know what Jesus told the Ephesian church? He said, you don't love me like you used to. So he said, you know what you need to do? You need to do what you did at first. You need to do what you need. It's not that you're not a follower of mine, but you need to do a start over. You need to do a recommitment. What was the first thing you did to become a Christian? You said that prayer, and then you threw yourself into him and his love. And so today, if you're not on fire for Christ, Jesus' words to get you back there is to say, start over again. Say the words again. Throw yourself back in again. Do what you used to do when you loved me. And you know what? That motion will create the right emotions. And so today, if you aren't committed to Christ where you want to be and you used to be, I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer. And today, if you do not know him personally, not just believe in him, but know him personally and experience love with him, I'm also going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. Let's go to prayer together. Father, we thank you that you created us to share in a love relationship with you, but also in a love relationship with others. We thank you for friendships and for family. And God, today, I thank you for marriage. And I thank you, Lord, for the marriages that are here today. And my prayer, God, is that every marriage, including mine, would grow in its love, grow in its passion, grow in its exhilaration together. God, I want to praise you for those today, their marriages that are strong, and I pray they would get stronger. And I really plead and beg for you, Lord, right now with the marriages that are struggling. And there's coldness there and maybe even abusiveness there or a distance there. And maybe there's one spouse more than the other that craves to have it back. So God, we pray that you would rescue that marriage and redeem that marriage and cause them to be at a day very, very soon where they look at each other and say, how could we have let this go? And I pray you'd restore. Father, I want to pray for the the children that are here today whose marriages of their parents went up in smoke. May you heal their hearts and hurts. And I want to pray, God, for the people who are sitting here today that at one time they really made that commitment and it, it became heartbreaking. May you bring healing into them. Father, I ask for your spirit to fill this room. I ask right now, God, that you would begin to touch anybody here who needs to commit their life to you or needs to recommit their life to you. Lord, may you stir up on their heart. May you touch them. I pray for the man who came here today because he's feeling at the end of his rope financially, the stress, the strain. He didn't even sleep last night. God, may he know that you love him and you want to call him into a relationship and you want to call him into a way that would take him out of this that he doesn't even understand and God that there is an answer but the biggest answer is for him to literally throw himself in your arms
I pray for the man who's here today. He made a horrible mistake. And he knows it. And right now he's even thinking about it. And Lord, I pray that you would call him to truth, but also to let him know that the greatest truth is that he can be forgiven. And he can be washed in the blood of Jesus in a way that takes away the guilt and the pain and the burden. And now he can come to you. So I pray for every person who needs to come. I pray you'd stir in touch. I pray you'd draw the men and women, the guys and girls now, who need to come in and recommit. All of you that God's calling and touching, God knows who you are and he sees you. Let's just whisper these words together. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say, yes, I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you have created me to be and to live the life that you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, praise God.